Hello and good evening and welcome to episode number 466 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I am Carlos and in this week's packed show with some weather chaos stories from extreme heat and hail a delta 757 has to evacuate the runway and virgin is set to start flying across the atlantic on sustainable fuels in the military news this week we have a bit of european security updates and then we cross down to the south america for some news before ending up in the us where an f-35 was found to have crashed due to wake turbulence so joining me this week over in the ptuk master suite glorious luxurious studio it is of course matt smith i mean that's a bit strong isn't it let's be honest <laughs> luxurious <laughs> I mean, it's got a comfy chair in it, I suppose. I'll give you that. <laughs> and heating. It's own oh, heating. yeah, yeah. It's the only yeah. room in the house that's warm all year round. <laughs> yeah. imagine, imagine the guys outside one of those heat cameras shining at yeah. your, at your yeah. house. And that is yeah, just they, the one massive... Yeah, they think they'll think they've got, I've got something in the roof. That's what they'll think. Yeah. <laughs> or Indeed. growing something. Yeah, quite. Anyway, moving on. Uh, joining us as well from across the fields, the glens, the dales, the rivers... The Buttercup Fields in the UK is, of course, Neville Bounds. It is I, yes. <laughs> and um, it's been quite a week, actually. Lots happening this week. I was just about to see if I could find a... a I don't know if you can get um, Garage Envy Oh, all. Um, oh. I'm just sending something into the uh, into the WhatsApp on, oh, okay. on the show. All right. I just had my, my garage finished this week, the oh. interior has been very good. Uh, so that's been good. Uh, Mrs. Nev on Monday had a second trapeziotomy. And I thought, oh, can you have chips with that? Turns I can out say some, sort of, <laughs> some sort of operation, apparently, on her hand. So okay. um, she's recovering from that at the moment. Um, but uh, lots of travelling this week as well. Gosh, it's been a very full-on time, I must say. But uh, no, looking forward to lots of news and a bit of the old competition as well. Later on, we've got some Ooh. results from last time and we've got a new competition for this week as well. So I'll be doing that a bit later on. So no, no flying then, Nev? No, actually, that's a good point. I'm not flying until about the 22nd now. I'm going to Dublin with Mrs. Nev for a couple of days to see one of our friends over there. Uh, so no work flying, um, but no, it's a bit of leisure flying uh, in a few weeks' time. Oh, it's uh, good to see you, Nev, as always, and hopefully we'll have, a, we'll have a sneak preview of that glorious, luxurious garage of yours in a moment. Well, uh, Where the banana lies... And also joining us from across the pond. It's so good to have him back. It honestly is so good to have him back. It's the man who puts the F in flying. It's Armando. Hi. Tra trapeziotomy. Is that who Zendaya played in The Greatest Showman? <laughs> I, only Matt got that one. I think only, only, only about 20% of our audience is going to yeah, get that. Yeah, Hi, guys. Yeah, Good absolutely. to see you again. Uh, to, 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 be fair, uh, to be fair, Armando, because it involves some kind of music, uh, there's not a hope in, in heck that Carlos will have gone not alone anywhere near it. But, I mean, you'd be lucky if he's even heard a song. Probably, probably caught one in passing accidentally as he walked <laughs> past a radio or something. But uh, Well, yeah. having a nine-year-old, that was one of the movies that uh, during COVID lockdown, I think we played every day so i know all the words to all the songs speaking yeah. of movies tonight i have to go see barbie because oh. uh oh i have a nine-year-old daughter so 
Yeah, that doesn't sound. That sounds more like an excuse, Armando. I mean, it's just, you know, like going back. It's pretty good. Well, yes, indeed. Yes, I have heard. It's just like, you're not doing the famous double though, where because you've got. <laughs> oh, so um, by comparison, I did go see Oppenheimer. Right. <laughs> no one wanted to go see it no. with me, so I went by myself on oh. an evening. I went to see it in IMAX. It was a spectacular movie. Loved yeah, it. Indeed. Uh, I mean, uh, I talk about sort of for the sublime to the core blimey watching those two back to back. It must be must be quite quite a head map. I think I'd have to watch it like Ockmahinder first and then Barbie, I think. just cause I think I'd, so. I'd, I'd need that like, you know. You know. Yeah, you got to decompress. Yeah, quite. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, anyway, none of that had to do anything with aviation. No, no, um, no. So I think you guys, so Carlos, it was nice doing the, the sim special with you a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I think uh, probably some of the highlights here, I flew that Pilatus across the country from uh, North Carolina to LA. Um, I don't know if we're going to send anything out to the listeners or maybe the Patreons, but I sent to the guys a video of just the arrival into John Wayne, Santa Ana County, or Orange County, John Wayne, Santa Ana. Uh, single pilot is a lot of work when you're doing an arrival from really anywhere in the country into LA. And it did not disappoint, even even though it was a, a clear, beautiful day. Uh, we'll talk about the heat here in a second in the first story. But um, yeah, that was interesting. Been flying the Hawker all over the East Coast. The guys tracked me on, on uh, FlightAware, I think. And then even the Super Cruiser, I've put, you know, probably 10, 15 hours on that in the last couple of weeks. And uh, big news today, uh, our Cessna uh, 206 just arrived. <gasps> um, yeah, that's something that we were partnering on with another, uh, another company. So uh, we'll have exclusive access to this beautiful G1000 to 2006 Cessna 206 um, with uh, anti-ice capabilities. It's got TKS, hot prop. Uh, it's got a cargo pod, air conditioning, oxygen, pretty nice little airplane. So wow. I think tomorrow, well, tomorrow I've got a hawker trip, but at some point in the next couple of days, I got to go up and, and fly out with uh, someone to satisfy all the insurance um, requirements. But nice. I have a new airplane in the family. Oh, it's very Ooh. exciting. Speaking very. of exciting things, Nev, um, I have a picture here. Oh, good. Yes, there we are. That's. Uh... That's the interior of the garage finished. Oh, Unfortunately, my car doesn't go in there. Uh, Mrs. Ah. Neb's Fiesta goes in there. Uh, okay, but, right. <laughs> but uh, no, it's all, all done. And uh, yeah, very nice uh, local firm in Marlow did that for us. Uh, although Mrs. Neb and I did all the painting, which was hard work. Yeah, I, I bet say. it was. All those breeze blocks, painting them white. But uh, no, it's all, all good. All my car cleaning stuff is in that cabinet. Oh, at the end look at you. Now, is that, you. Are the yellow stripes there, Neb, to stop people from parking in front? Oh, yeah, we don't park. Absolutely, yeah, we don't want parking <laughs> on our uh, yeah, double yellow. Yeah. It's a, it's a hefty fine if you do. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. You know, the, pounds and uh, reduced to sixty pounds if you pay within twenty eight. Oh, very good. Yes, yes. That's very the, fair, Nev. It's very fair. The first time that I moved to England in two thousand five, I took my Jeep Grand Cherokee over there, oh, and I just, oh I just can't help looking at that. Going, I wonder if I would have to fold in the mirrors to get in there. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have big garages here. Uh, definitely. Not. I think you'd have to do more. I think you'd have to fold it in half to be able to like get it in the garage. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, Quite. We get a spare wheel in there. I do have. I do have garage envy. 
Yeah, it is. It's, it's very impressive. Will it stay like that, though, Nev? That's the question, because, I mean, I've had well, a... It's, you yeah, know. It's, it's the first week, so it's looking great at the moment. Lovely, but okay. Three months' time could be a different story. Yeah. You've oh. always got that picture to go back on, I think. That's yes. the, <laughs> to look back on, yeah, indeed. <laughs> so we're going to say hello to all the lovely members of the community in the chat room this evening. Uh, Mazus was all top of the top of the drawer today. He was in there uh, nice and early, so hello to you, Mazus. Captain Cruz... Hello to you. We have got, as well, John Jester, our resident cargo hauler. John Jester's in there as well. Dirk S., hello to you. Richard Adams. Uh, Oscar's in there. Say hello to Oscar. I saw him earlier on today, and uh, we're having a little chat about aviation, funnily enough. Uh, we've also got... Uh, Marla's in there as well. Hello to you. There's a picture on the screen there now of Oscar on board that uh, 737. Uh, we did, have, right, okay, look. How do you know that? What? How do you know that? That it's a seven four seven? Because he's got one in his guest room. Uh, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, that's a reasonable excuse. Yeah, okay. a, good, a good tell is it's a proper aircraft with a yoke, not not. And a, there's no, nowhere to put your lunch. That's the problem, isn't it? No. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, I mean that. Okay, so that would help identify <laughs> that it's a Boeing. But like, except, except the sick bag that's behind the pilot's seat. That's where you can put your lunch. Ah, <laughs> oh, nasty. Uh, hobby time. Hello to you as well. Bill is also in there. Hello, Bill. Uh, Armando's keeping an eye on things with the blue spanner of doom. And don't forget, if you are listening to our voices on uh, the audio podcast and you've not seen how stunningly gorgeous Nev is in real life, you can get yourselves over to YouTube and uh, check out Plain Talking UK on YouTube. What do you want? Check out the live stream <laughs> on the Friday. I had to say something different this week. Come on, I pick on most of you guys. I have to pick on Nev this week. Uh-oh. So join us over on YouTube where at 7 o'clock on a Friday we are broadcasting our live show. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button as well and the bell icon to be notified when we are live, hopefully, on a Friday night. So... We've got tons to get through today, including that all-important book quiz or book competition as well, which Nev is very much looking forward to pulling a name out of a hat this week. So if all the team's ready, let's do com- some commercial news. Ready? The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. So the first story this week comes to us from theguardian.com. It's all about extreme heat uh, forcing U.S. airlines to limit passengers and fuel loads. Uh, high temperatures reduce uh, engine performance and the lift on the aircraft's wings are able to produce, leading some airlines to warn of delays. Extreme temperatures, as we've experienced here in the U.K., not so much now, but we have had, uh, in parts of the U.S. and around the world, are forcing airlines to reduce fuel loads and shed passengers or baggage or wait for daytime temperatures to drop in the evenings and to fly some aircraft as well. And the high temperatures reduce performance of the engines and lift the airplane's wings generate. Uh, Las Vegas-based Allegiant Airlines, uh, a warning as well that they will delay flights if there is a threat to passengers' safety. Earlier this month, several Delta passengers voluntarily got off a flight from Las Vegas to Atlanta after aircraft weight issues in the heat caused delays. 
Additional protocols have been put in place to address operational impacts extreme heat has on aircraft, including loading less fuel to account for weight and balance and schedule refueling along the route when, when needed, Delta said in a statement. Last week, a Delta Airlines flight from Las Vegas to Atlanta sat on the tarmac for hours in 115 degree Fahrenheit heat, or 46 degrees Celsius heat, without air conditioning causing some passengers to experience heat-related sickness. The U.S. Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, called the incident shocking. American Airlines has also responded to the issue, saying it's taking extra steps to make sure it has cooled air on jet bridges hooked up to aircraft uh, to perform early maintenance on auxiliary power units and the smaller engines that, uh, as we know, give power when larger engines are shut down. They said that though we've uh, had a very small number of diversions and delays related to high temperatures, we plan to have in place as allowed to avoid us uh, significant impacts, an American Airlines spokeswoman told Bloomberg. The complications that high temperatures can cause a plane's performance are due in part to some flight manuals recommending aircraft do not go above 120 degrees Fahrenheit when exposed to extreme heat, its maximum operating temperature. Passengers on board the aircraft could be at risk, according to Monroe Airspace. Last week, Park Service officials in Death Valley, where temperatures can reach 130 degrees Fahrenheit, warned hikers that rescue helicopters would not be able to fly to their aid during the daytime. Now, Armando, obviously you fly a few different aircraft types, but one question I have to ask is when you're flying the um, the parachute hauler aircraft with those jumpers on and it's very, very warm, do you have to limit the amount of um, people you have on board or jumpers you have on board the aircraft? Sure. Uh, this density altitude affects all aircraft. So this story, particularly about commercial aviation, um, this has been a problem uh, not just out west. So usually airlines like Southwest Airlines or if you're American Airlines and you're kind of based out west, you know that you're going to have some performance limitations during the summer, especially those high density altitude airports on a regular day. Right. So Las Vegas, um, uh, anywhere, Albuquerque, Denver, um, but uh, this has been actually been affecting a lot of airports in the Midwest and on the East Coast, even uh, with with uh, performance limitations. It it does affect those big airliners, but yeah, it, it very very much affects um, small aircraft, general aviation aircraft. We actually had an aircraft go down uh, at our local skydive place. Um, they were doing some training and they were unfamiliar with the airfield. They left it a little bit too long to do their go around. Um, what turned out happening was their flight school didn't authorize them to land on a grass field, but they wanted to train to it anyways. Well, our our airfield there where we do the skydiving is a, a bit of a challenging airfield anyways. They left it too long and um, they weren't able to climb out. This was a Cessna 150 and they just barely cleared some power lines before they clipped the top of the trees and ended up nose down in the trees. They, luckily they both walked away. But yeah, we um, the only thing that I can really control on the skydive plane, we have a Cessna 182H model, right? So it's got a, an 0470 Lycoming that's kind of underpowered, standard for skydiving, but underpowered for high density altitude uh, airports is um, I can either split the load, right? So if it's two heavy customers, heavy air customers, I can split them and take them one by one or maybe take one from another load. Uh, maybe if I can get a uh, 150 pound person or 120 pound uh, person 
instead of a 200 pound plus an instructor plus their rig and all that stuff. And then the second part is I can reduce the fuel load. So generally we take off with about 30 gallons. It takes me eight gallons to do a run, uh, eight gallons in 18 minutes, but with a hot air all the way up. I, I mean, even in the Hawker at uh, 25, 30,000 feet, I've seen uh, ISA plus 13, plus 15. So standard air temperature plus 13 degrees Celsius. That's how warm it's been here. So it limits the fuel that I can take on board. So now I'll take off with 20 gallons. That's enough for one load plus a little bit of spare, uh, keeping in mind that we're dropping through the Charlotte class Bravo. So I got to keep a little bit for delays. And then, um, and then I got to get down kind of lickety split uh, after they, uh, they jump out. So yeah, that absolutely density altitude and the heat affects all aircraft and even helicopter. We won't even talk about helicopters because that's just pure uh, magic, but um, yeah, affects everybody. It's been terrible here, uh, over there too, right? In Europe. I mean, Not so much here. It's been quite the opposite here at the moment, it has to be said. That's why I'm <laughs> wearing a hoodie. Just saying, um, but uh, although there, there is talk, I mean, and also uh, here actually, weather-wise, like Ju- uh, July is uh, sorry, August is supposed to be essentially a total washout. Um, so yeah, in stark contrast, to, as you say, to huge swathes of, of Europe that have been having forty-plus degrees Celsius heat and uh, you know uh, risk to life and and bushfires and all sorts mm-hmm. of just awful, awful things going. Really, I mean, it's. Um, it's a it's a funny say, old world at the moment. In my naivety, uh, many years ago, I just assumed that all commercial airports in the US had fourteen thousand foot runways, and, and <laughs> none of this was a problem at all. But if you take somewhere like uh, LaGuardia and, and a few others, you know, some yeah. of these runway lengths mm-hmm. are not high at all, are they, Armando? So there's some no. pretty big restrictions, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, I'm just going to look this up real quick. John Wayne Santa Ana Airport. Um, where is a huge hub that everybody goes in there. Uh, it is a, a 5,700 foot runway. So that's 1,700 meters. Wow. And you're talking Southwest Airlines 737s, Delta American, uh, Frontier goes in there as a LA satellite airport. Yeah, 1,700 meters, 5,700 5, feet runway. That is not a lot. Just slightly less than uh, Jersey in the Channel Islands. <laughs> uh, and Carlos and I know what it's like yeah. to. Uh, just about stopped before Ooh. you go off the end, as we smelt the, uh, the hot brakes. Uh, what, from inside or when you got yes. out? Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that good. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> tense, I think, is the word you're looking for. Mm. Very tense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully we'll have some warm weather here back in the UK at some point before September. summer finishes. September, it's before supposed to be quite, quite mild. In Honestly. Fact, and it'll probably be September or October, so it'll be the roles will be reversed. I'll bring the rain to you, Armando. That's probably what will happen. No. <laughs> we will appreciate it, actually. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Okay, I'll see what I can do. Uh, <laughs> no, next story is uh, is from Matt. Now, those of you who know uh, uh, Matt know that Matt loves a bit of karaoke, loves a bit of singing. So uh, what was going on here, Matt? 
Yes, I, 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 can, I can feel Nev's eyes rolling already as I begin this story with slight nerves in my voice, if I'm honest. Uh, Ryanair flight erupts in laughter as a man serenades passengers. Is there a payment option to silence him, uh, said one of the passengers. Uh, I don't have the... I, I don't know where it came from, unfortunately. Uh, let me see if I can find... Uh, it was the metro.co.uk is the source on this one. Uh, passengers on a Ryanair flight were given an, an unwanted serenade as a traveller grabbed the plane's mic and gave a rendition of to those taking off minutes before taking to the air the passenger sang the words to irish musician johnny logan's winning eurovision hit hold me now and as the uh, as the man reached the chorus others on the flight decided to join in but oh, others were less impressed uh, with the performance uh, but it didn't seem to be the consensus on board as other passengers sang along to the words of the four Euro former eurovision song stars hit uh, and as the random singer carried on, gaggles of laughter could be heard coming from other travellers while some decided to get out their phones and record the serenade. Uh, it's not the clearest. Now, I, I mean, I've got several issues with this, if I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so there, there we, we are. All, we all know, mm. as... I mean, Nev's a very fairly well-seasoned passenger, and obviously Armando is uh, very well versed in, in sitting in the back as well as the front. But we all know that the sound system on, on aircraft is not the it's not a Bose sound system, is it now? No, it's CAC. <laughs> they are. Why why are they so poor? How difficult is it to do it properly? I d I don't understand it. <laughs> True, true. Uh, I, I should just say he closed his performance. Uh, he, he was very, he was very magnanimous because he closed his performance by thanking those on board and said "see you later" as he gave one of the flight attendants a kiss on the cheek and handed back to the mic. Now that is not okay. Just saying. Uh, Pete Farrell took the. Uh, let, let's hope that the uh, the uh, cabin crew wasn't offended by that. To be honest with you, although I'm surprised they let him do it. This is the bit that's bothering me a bit on this anyway. I mean, because I don't know, is he famous or, or what? I mean, like, how did he get away with, like, just grabbing the microphone and having a sing? Bill, Bill in the chat room says, did Ryanair charge them for the in-flight entertainment? Probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Pete Farrell took a video of, of, of all the bad notes and said, you, uh, I, I know you are not famous for your in-flight entertainment, but this is taking the bleep. Uh, me the and the bleep. kids would like uh, our money back, please. Another commented, this is, this was a hijacking. Uh, <laughs> this was a hijacking. While well, one said, unless that's the real Johnny Logan, I'd be asking for my money back. Uh, Graham Russell said, get that lad a drink, some voice, hey. Uh, <laughs> but the question, right, and we've talked about this before on the show. This isn't the first time we've taught, had a subject like this on the show, but come on, I mean... Of all the money that's spent on design and aircraft and, and all the immense technology and the fa fabulous tech that goes into to building an aircraft, why are commercial airliners, the, the speakers in the, uh, in the passenger compartment, why are they just so incredibly Sierra Hotel India Tango? Well, uh, the, the company I work for uh, make a very good range of uh, speakers. Product uh, placement. Well, you know, 
seriously i mean i think we should get into th this business because um, they are so awful that the the distortion the yeah um of course the other thing is that the the, the microphones themselves whether it's the the pa from from the uh, flight deck or the interphone from the uh, cabin crew it's just appalling and it's always right on the edge of feeding back and then the cabin crew think oh it's about feedback I'll, I'll put my hand over the thing of course which makes it even worse um, so uh, I don't know I, I must find out the answer to that perhaps that'd be a bit of research for next week's show for me what what do you think Armando obviously you know it'd be interesting to hear what your thoughts are on this um, subject uh, why it was that way I don't know I, I don't actually have a good answer although I do think it's all going to be irrelevant anyways you know the only thing we're going to have the the speaker system for is for the crew to make their announcements because everybody's going to have bluetooth you know headphones and we've talked about this ife revolution where the onboard ife is going away so um yeah i couldn't tell you well need to anymore. <laughs> well if you if you're if you're listening you know anyone from from boeing please just and airbus and Airbus, and Airbus, and Embraer, and every other airline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I don't get why it's just like, if you can hear people, is it, is it the speakers or is it the microphone? No, the problem is, you see, what you need in that situation, because you've got, this is going to get a bit technical now, Ooh. you do need a nice little bit of a mid-range lift to, to cut through all the other noise that's going on in, in the aircraft. But unfortunately... Um, if you start uh, by having the microphone on the interphone too close, that you start sort of over modulating the whole thing to begin with, and then it's just it's either too low, um, too quiet, or too loud, or it's distorted. Um, I, I don't think it's difficult to do um, sensible. Uh, you know, it would not cost a lot of money to do it properly. As one of my sound supervisors said to me many years ago, in fact, it was my first ever job, he said, Nev, it costs the same amount of money to do it badly as it does to do it properly. Well, it's, and, and especially it's, when you think right. how much these aircraft are to buy, this is the thing, yeah. isn't it? I mean, a, a decent sound system on, on the aircraft would probably not cost, it probably would make almost zero difference to, to the cost, but are we the only people that care about how good the PA system sounds. Probably. Yeah. I don't know that anybody else is listening, you know. <laughs> no, not quite. Absolutely. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you oh, know, John John brings up a good point. There's so much in aviation that's just uh they're just holdovers, right? I, I mean I, I think I've said it on the on the show before. Even our radio technology, like the the way we communicate via VHF AM radios, um are that's something from the 1920s, 1930s. But at this point, you can't change it because it's uh, it's got to be backwards compatible with the rest of the world. So until until Bolivia, Zimbabwe, and Thailand all go to some kind of better communication system, some kind of you know VHF or UHF FM uh, radio, where you can do a lot more uh, traffic on, you can reduce the interference between the the frequencies, um, things. So that and that's something that is critical to aviation is the way we talk on the radios, but just the idea of VHF AM technology in the 120 to 150 band range is that's an antiquated thing, right? But but we can't change it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing at Bill's comment in the chat room. 
<laughs> saying uh, Ryanair. Yeah, Bill's saying Ryanair probably used tin cans and a piece of string. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which be... was which was quite effective when we were at school. But also, in fairness to Ryanair, they're just using the equipment that came with the aircraft. And this, this yeah, is, that guess, is true. This is the debate, I guess, that we're we're kind of having that nobody cares about other than us. It's well, uh, well. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully later on, hopefully later on this year, me and Nev are planning, possibly planning a little trip to a certain factory over in Europe. Uh, to go and have a look at some uh, aircraft. And I, I will put the question to them, I think, uh, Nev. Yeah, when we're there. I will be, yes. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll polish up my French and I'll, I'll ask them in French. Oh, I see. So that they can't they can't say, I, I don't understand. Why is it so keck? Right. Okay. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Something like that. No, oh, no. Are they having a go at me now? Oh, I, no. I, <laughs> No, anyway, moving uh, swiftly on. Moving lovely. swiftly on. Yeah, if you could please send all complaints to uh, I don't give a damn at airlinepilotguy.com, <laughs> I'd be very grateful. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> now, Armando, you have uh, got the next uh, story, and it's a bit, uh, bit of a blowout on this one. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, evacuation rules and safety announcements. This is the re this is exactly the reason why you should you should pay attention to the safety briefing. Uh, just uh, yesterday, right? Uh, emergency crews responded to a Delta Airlines 757 uh, when it burst some tires there in Atlanta. Um, that was 757-200, uh, and by all accounts, it blew its tire on landing. Uh, there was some great video. Matt, I don't know if you're able. Yeah, there you go. Um, so this was from one of the passengers. This was posted on Twitter or whatever we're calling it now. Um, but uh, really safe and orderly evacuation. I listened to some of the tapes on this and the crew did a, a great job of slowing things down, winding back the clock, as we say, uh, looking at their threat and error management time bucket and figuring out what it was that they were going to do and they uh, decided to stop the aircraft right there on the runway there were some communications from the tower that were actually a little bit misleading to the crew the tower at some point said that hey the right side landing gear is on fire it wasn't it was actually the left side landing gear um, and that's where as a crew you have to uh, do a um, you know, you in, in CRM, when we talk about crew resource management and threat and error management, um, you have to take in all inputs, but no one input might, you know, could over overrules the others. So the fact that the crew was able to kind of slow things down and say, no, it is, in fact, the left side that is um, the trouble side. They evacuated the entire aircraft off the right side. John Jester points out not a whole lot of bags. Not a whole lot of bags uh, coming down those slides, so that's well actually done. really impressive. Yeah, that's why I'm running it again because I thought I didn't even notice that. But no, <laughs> nobody's got a bag. Yep, everybody seemed it seemed Holy to be a pretty crap. orderly evacuation, and uh, the emergency services crew crews were actually able to kind of herd everyone there at uh, one of the grassy areas to the side of the runway while the uh, our equipment was able to take care of the uh, of the uh, landing gear truck and uh, really good outcome one person was injured but that was on the slide coming down so you, you know we've talked about that I don't, we don't need to beat that that horse but uh, every time you have to think about evacuating the aircraft you know that it's most likely going to result in some injuries 
So I think getting away with uh, with a, a minor injury from an evacuation uh, from a 757, which is a pretty tall airplane, as we know, um, is pretty good. Uh, well done to the crew, ATC, uh, the fire rescue crews, passengers, the cabin crew. And I think even in, on the Twitter video, you can see some of the um, pilots and non-revving pilots. So nowadays there's a lot of you know deadheading pilots. Um, but at that point, uh, I've said it before, if you're in uniform, it doesn't matter what airline you work for. You know, you could be a frontier pilot or an American airline pilot uh, commuting to work. But when when those situations happen, you are in uniform and now you are essentially a person of authority and you are also sort of representing uh, that airline because, you know, hey, we're all in this together. And I saw that some of the crew members do doing a really good job of, of hurting people and um, and the cabin crew was there at the bottom of the slides helping people off. So re really great outcome. And of mm. course the airplane will fly again. It was a, a pretty significant. It, there were some close-ups of the of the landing gear and it, it burst. It, it was down to the rim. Wow. Um, that air, but uh, but of course that airplane will fly again. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah to be fair, Dirk says uh, poor seven five seven. I mean, I feel I, I feel like I should say like good riddance uh, if I was honest. But anyway, oh, no. so, oh. not... <laughs> I tell you one of the things. I know one of the things I, I noticed on the yeah. social media video that that Matt played on there as well, and that picked up by Aaron P as well. He says he loves the woman that looks out of the overwing exit and then decides, nah, this isn't. Nah, I'm all right for you. Yeah, I'll yeah. stay where I am. Yeah, I'll just burn. It, it's fine. It is, it is. If you look the way that those slides are designed on the overwing exit. It. It's not just mm. a case of out the door and straight down. It's yeah. out the door, down, uh, and it's all the you know. It's a bit different going over the overwing exits. But um... now, one of the things that that somebody was saying in here, and I, I think uh, I'm sure you'll probably uh, you'll probably agree with John on this one, Armando. But he was saying like, what about all that water with the engine? Because obviously they were sort of like spraying all the engine and everything there. I mean, sure, does yeah. that have any um, impact on its? Uh, you know, oh, sure, sure, covering sure, yeah. it in water. Yeah, the the foam in there has chemicals. I'm sure that that whole engine will go through uh, probably a teardown and inspection. Um, you know, that's kind of Peter's job. But uh, but you know, it's Delta Airlines, and it happened at Atlanta, which is their uh, a huge maintenance hub for them. So, mm -hmm. uh, guaranteed that they'll you know probably just put a whole new landing gear uh, system on there and uh, probably take that engine off, hang a new engine. They can do that in. in a day true and true. and get that airplane back airborne and then they'll probably take that to uh to Refur an inspection station refurbish yeah. it and, and sort of bring but it yeah but yeah the, the foam and the chemicals all that stuff um you certainly have to inspect an engine after that all the mm. it, there's so many um just small moving parts in there right and everything from from the fuel flow the igniters all that stuff will probably have to be replaced but but at least nobody got hurt absolutely You've got uh, the next story, and it's all about uh, our lovely red airline from the UK. Yeah, it's this on the uh, jalopnik.com uh, website. Uh, it says that Virgin will fly the first transatlantic flight powered by sustainable fuel. Uh, well, it's no secret that we need to uncover ways to make air travel more sustainable. In the US alone, air travel accounts for 10% of greenhouse gas emissions. And as the number of flights taking off each day rises, that percentage will go up. 
uh, to combat this, uh, aircraft builders and engine manufacturers have begun experimenting with novel ways of powering flight, including electric motors and even hydrogen-powered engines. But now one British airline, Virgin, will trial the first transatlantic flight to run on sustainable aviation fuel, SAF. So on November 28th, uh, a Virgin Atlantic Boeing 787 will take off from London's Heathrow to, on to uh, JFK in New York. But instead of its two Rolls-Royce Trent 1000 engines running on traditional jet fuel, fuel the plane will be fueled for the entire trip on a sustainable alternative. This will be the first for the industry as presently airlines are only permitted to operate flights with up to 50% sustainable fuels blended in with traditional jet fuel. For the test flight, Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Atlantic has partnered with AirBP and Virant which will provide a new fuel that cuts life cycle CO2 emissions by as much as 70%. Uh, to make its SAF, AirBP uses feedstocks such as used cooking oil and household food waste. The waste is collected by BP, refined and turned into a fuel that can be blended with jet fuel as necessary. Because of this, it's often called a drop-in fuel, which helps cut some of the emissions from air travel. However, for the Virgin Atlantic flight, this fuel won't be blended with traditional kerosene fuels and will instead be used solo, albeit blended uh, with 12% aromatics which helps it meet the performance it needs for the flight. Uh, SAF is the most viable option to help us meet the industry's net zero ambition and in the short and medium term it will be the only option for long-haul flights as Andrew Moyes, uh, Global uh, Aviation Sustainability Director at AirBP, she said in a statement. Uh, moving our industry and policy towards the use of 100% SAF is important as we work in collaboration with key stakeholders to help decarbonise aviation. Prior to the takeoff of the flight, um, Virgin Atlantic and Rolls-Royce have carried out extensive ground tests of the fuel in the Rolls-Royce Trent engines that power the 787. The Virgin test also follows a pilot project from AirAsia in India, which was the first flight to be only powered by SAF. Despite both the India test and this transatlantic flight relying solely on SAF, Current targets are only requiring airlines to fuel their fleet with 10% SAF by 2030 in the UK. Uh, but in the US, the aviation industry hopes to have access to 3 billion gallons of SAF by 2030. The Biden administration also announced that by 2050, all domestic flights in the US should be powered by SAF. At its peak in 2019, the global commercial uh, airline industry consumed around 95 billion gallons of jet fuel over the course of a year. Uh, in the US, commercial aviation burned through 1.5 million barrels of aviation fuel per day that year. Of course, we always say, don't we, that one of the biggest costs of operating these commercial airliners is the cost of the fuel. Uh, even if they bought it 12 months ago, it's still a very significant, significant part of the operation. So, uh, yeah, interesting to see how that goes. Well, the passengers, I wonder whether they'll um, inform the passengers when they're on board the flight and let them know that, um, I mean, not that it's an issue, but mm. uh, I suspect it'll be one of those things. Do you tell the passengers that this is going to be run completely on sustainable fuel? I mean, Perhaps you might tell them at the end. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> the beginning. Is this like when, uh, what was the airline that was serving paper products at the uh, um, in the first class section? Oh, dear. Was 
Somebody was just doing that. Was that British Airways or was that probably Singapore or some? No, it was. I think oh, it was I Singapore. Think Singapore. Singapore. Yeah. 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 It, you know, you tell them at the end. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's sustainable, right? Paper products. <laughs> oh yeah. Can you imagine if somebody um, tried to serve a meal to Nev on a paper plate? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the uproar and furore that would, that would follow? We'd be reading a story about a passenger disturbance. We would, yeah. indeed, on our own podcast. How awkward would that be? Uh, <laughs> you know, one thing that we didn't include a story this week about it, but Continental uh, Motors, which uh, makes engines for small general aviation aircraft, they just had a Jet A uh, piston engine certified. Uh, the FAA just gave them their certification, and it's they're actually looking... Uh, forward to certification to run on sustainable aviation fuels. So for us here in the U.S., we're probably lagging a little bit uh, behind you guys over there in Europe. I think uh, having Jet A powered, Jet A fueled general aviation engines, uh, mostly Diamond uh, and Continental, um, they're way ahead of everybody else on this. But uh, I'm actually looking forward to. Um, you know, getting something like this, Jet A, sustainable aviation fuels in a small aircraft because uh, the 100 low lead fuel is, is going away in the next, you know, 10 years or so. It has to. Mm. Very mm. true. It's the future, guys. It's the future. Oof. Anyway. I, 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 I never thought I said that. I'm, I'm, I think I'm reaching that, that age in my life where I'm thinking, I don't know if I like change anymore. I just, <laughs> just stay as we are. Yeah, I... <laughs> I kind of, I kind of miss the days, yeah. um, don't you, Armando? Of seeing the, you know, the seven two sevens and the seven zero sevens with that lovely black plumes. Oh well, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, all right, behind. yeah, no, yeah, I get. That. I Do you remember those, that. Armando? Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, I was in the Air Force when we had. Uh, I mean, I went into the Air Force in '98. We still had the old engined one thirty fives. Also, I mean, those things left a four mile trail of black smoke. You could. <laughs> Certainly not sneak up on anybody because you could see them coming from <laughs> thirty miles away. Uh, look, look like the wicked wist of the wicked witch of the wicked west. Wist. Sorry, never mind. I'll 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 I'll, abort, have an, have, I'll abandon have that drink. It, uh, have yeah. another G and T while I read this story, Matt. Lovely. Okay, I've got to have a lie down. This is coming to us from NBCNewYork.com, and uh, "Trouble to Paradise." The headline says: Flight delays leave passengers at JFK Airport for thirty. 33 hours? Blimey. A flight grounded hundreds of Hawaii-bound passengers at a New York uh, City airport for nearly 33 hours before finally taking off on Wednesday. The Hawaiian Airlines flight departed from JFK, missed its 10 a.m. takeoff on Tuesday after the crew reported an odour hmm. uh, during a pre-cabin check. The passengers heading to Honolulu sat through one delay, then a second delay, started starting what would eventually stretch into a day-long wait to get on board the aircraft. Frustrated passengers claimed the airline would not return their luggage or exchange tickets for other flights. Instead, passengers were stranded at the airport for more than a day and said they were only given a $12 food voucher. Now, I know stuff's cheap in the US, but blimey. Uh, every time they delay it, they won't give us a reason for the delay, said Joe Rayo Jr., one of the passengers. 
He told News 4, we learned that there was a malfunction of some kind, a mechanical issue uh, that needed to be remedied, and they said it would take time for the part to be flown in from Atlanta, Georgia. The part was delivered, the fix was made, but the plane still didn't have the green light. Then the pilot didn't want to clear the flight because he said it smelled of fumes. There were more hours without communication from the airline before passengers were advised to take the next 10 a.m. flight departing on the Wednesday morning. The problem, they were already the passengers assigned, or there were already passengers assigned to that flight. A spokesperson for the airline, the, uh, the long delays were compounded by the maintenance issue and staffing problems. The flight crews exceeded their duty hours and had to have a break before the flight could take off. The safety of our guests as it always is with airlines and employees, is our highest priority and deeply apologise, they said, for the inconvenience and they were working to get the guests safely to their destinations. The statement concluded. The flight scheduled to depart uh, on the Tuesday at 10am eventually left JFK Airport on Wednesday, just before 7pm. Now, that's not a bad delay. Now, in the UK, we obviously have... Um, rules and stuff in in place for that i think i forget what the law is now because it changed i think earlier this year for how many hours before you have or before you can have it's a certain a, degree of compensation oh thank you nev yeah. thank you nev what what are the levels never is it food vouchers first or is it um oh i don't know what the uh the scale of it is but uh a more than a three hour delay which is what i picked up on my brussels flight when the aircraft wouldn't pressurize uh that was a 250 euro compensation Ooh. For me. Nice. Uh, so I enjoyed that. Uh, very nice steak with a couple of my mates uh, <laughs> that I work with, actually. But there we go. Um, but, uh, yeah, there is a scale of um, stuff uh, called UK or EU 261. And then, um, yeah, then they have to pay up. Now, with the, with the voucher for food and stuff, I remember reading a story not so long ago about our local airport here in Norwich, Matt, where some passengers were... Um, strand or what strand but delayed for a number of hours here at norwich international airport uh and they also got a i think it was a 10 pound um voucher for food which i think so, so said, remind me norwich airport that's somewhere near london right <laughs> yeah it is somewhere near london exactly yes norwich london international airport but they got a 10 pound voucher for food which as you can probably imagine yeah. um I mean, I mean, I mean, if it, if, if it was accepted, if it, like I say, if it was accepted at the McDonald's, that's that's the other end of the airport, then then that might have been all right. But <laughs> I mean, twelve dollars, Armando. What's that going to get you in a um, U.S. airport? Uh, that'll get you a Chick Fil A sandwich and uh, some waffle fries and a drink. Oh, oh, well, that's oh blimey! Bad. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> that's actually not yeah. good. Yeah. Do you know different airports actually have different? Because, you know, it's the United States, so each state has different rules on this. Some airports cannot charge, cannot legally charge any more inside the airport than they would outside the airport. Nice. And then, and then other airports are, you know, free free range, and they can charge whatever they want free range. at a premium. But, like um, the chicken, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but it actually depends on the, the city, the state, who the authority is, whether it's a... Uh, uh, government-run airport or if it's a privately-run airport so kind of varies here in the states hmm that's interesting now i'm hungry now after nah. listening I'm, I'm, after uh, armando said about chick-fil-a i'm feeling quite peckish now oh, um yeah. 
Nev, you've got the next story, and uh, this one is, um, well, the pictures will definitely uh, tell our story, I think. Yeah, this is one of the suboptimal moments, <laughs> I would say. Uh, uh, on the uh, nypost.com, New York-bound Delta flight makes emergency landing after damaging hailstorm. Like being on a roller coaster. Uh, a Delta flight from Milan to New York was forced to make an emergency landing shortly after takeoff after the aircraft was pummeled by hail during severe turbulence. The passenger jet was rerouted to Rome after it suffered damage to its nose and its fuse at large near the wings, according to the uh, Italian news media. Photos posted online by passengers showed large holes in the nose cone and wings following the hailstorm. One traveller on board told ABC News that the plane hit turbulence that felt like a roller coaster ride just 15 minutes after takeoff. Uh, we took off like a normal takeoff, we get into the air, and then a few minutes later, we encounter severe turbulence probably light chop, I explain. Uh, and we all hear noises <laughs> like we've never heard before, Stephen Corey said. And that was hail pounding on the roof of the plane. Uh, he said the intense uh, thunderstorm, uh, sorry, the intense storm made passengers worry for their safety. One passenger looked out of the window and saw the wing shaking violently, like it was going to break off. I think that's uh, part of the design. Uh, that, is, that that happens. Uh, Corey told uh, ABC, uh, I saw a flash of light, uh, like lightning hitting the plane, and the turbulence was like being on a roller coaster ride, dropping significantly. Uh, Delta Flight 185 from, from Milan to New York's uh, JFK diverted to Rome after experiencing an apparent weather related maintenance issue shortly after departure, a Delta spokesman told the Post. <laughs> Weather-related maintenance issue, I like it. Uh, the flight landed safely in Rome where passengers deplaned normally, but possibly with a change of underwear. Uh, there were no reported injuries amongst the 215 passengers, eight flight attendants and three pilots on board. Uh, the spokesman added that the maintenance personnel were conducting a thorough evaluation of the aircraft in Rome. I'm not surprised, because looking at the, the ray dome uh, of that, there's uh, a actual penetration of it all the way through to the uh, uh, the weather radar and ILS receivers. Um, and, uh, yeah, the airline did not specify the extent of the damage the plane suffered. I don't think it needs to specify it, because we can see it. But Corey said the tip of the nose was caved in and that both engines and both wings also appeared to be battered. Uh, I've got some questions here, Armando. <laughs> Brace right. yourself. Se settle, settle down. <laughs> now, I'm not going to have a rant, uh, but I would have thought that... Uh, well, firstly, can, weather, can the uh, a weather radar typically pick up hailstorm? Um, That's actually a really great question. Because I'm not sure that it can properly, but also the ATC uh, and the Met would have known that there was significant weather in the area i would have thought so yeah know. well so starting backwards yes atc would have known um so they should have adjusted the departure i'm not familiar with milan's departure procedures i know the terrain up there can be challenging so depending on on the performance of the aircraft they may have been limited to a certain departure of course you can always wait uh, and just delay the flight especially a flight from milan Did to they? New York. <laughs> um the your question about hail on radar is actually a, a really good one, Nev. Um, believe it or not, it depends. Um, hail, regular hail, the most common type of hail, uh, will actually 
often show up as a strong return. It'll show up as a purple uh, return, so the most severe or the strongest return. But it actually depends on what kind of hail it is. So water is uh, roughly five times more uh, radar reflective than uh, ice. So if it's wet hail, which is the more common type, um, it'll usually have a strong uh, return. It'll be red or purple. However, dry hail uh, will have little to no return uh, because the radar waves are being absorbed. Um, it's actually the same with snow. We can see wet snow on radar as a pretty good uh, precipitation return, uh, but dry snow will actually not show up. Um, the other part to this is depending on the storm cell, um, the hail can be thrown 20, 25 miles away from us from a cell. Um, so generally, we try to fly upwind of any strong cells and in I don't remember if this was nighttime or daytime. During the daytime, we certainly try to avoid those uh, large, you know, building human limbus uh, cells. And we always, almost always try to fly upwind of it because that blow off or the anvil, as a lot of people call it, that can throw hail and precipitation and really strong winds 20, 25 miles um, away from the downwind of the storm. So I don't know the specifics on this aircraft, uh, what their departure procedure was, whether they went upwind or downwind or just through a storm. And uh, the crew, uh, I can I can almost anticipate that this was that other type of hail because if the crew had seen a uh, purple return on their weather radar, they they would have avoided it. No, nobody is going to fly through that. So um, could have been a dry dry hail event. Yeah, that's what I kind of was assuming there, uh, Armando, that uh, no crew would have deliberately flown through this if it was giving big returns on their weather radar, but that clearly uh, it wasn't picking this up, I, I would imagine. Yeah. So, yeah. Tell you what, we've been doing this show for a number of years now, guys, and this is probably the one of the worst I think I've seen on a commercial airliner. Mm. Damage. Yeah, that damage under the wings, that's, you know, that's pretty significant. Um, and, and, it, and it seems like they got the damage... They went through the storm pretty shortly after takeoff, so it might have been a, a high angle of attack where the mm. you know the wing is pointed up and they were just getting beat up by that hail. But seeing that much damage under the wing, that's uh, that is pretty significant mm. and rare. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, I think Nick was it Nick that uh, threw in the question about uh, where why divert to Rome? Um, oh, okay. Prob uh, probably uh, the crew made that decision all in all. They needed to burn off some gas, I imagine, if they were flying all the way to, to New York. Um, so if you're going to burn off gas, you might as well go somewhere. <laughs> and uh, and Rome is, is one of those airports where it's easy for the Delta Airlines uh, maintenance go team, the, the kind of crisis response team, to go to. Uh, it would, it, it's going to be a lot easier for them to get to Rome than Milan. And also, I, I again, I don't know specifics, but I would imagine that Rome probably has some large uh, maintenance and repair uh, 
facilities that Delta could contract with to get this airplane back well, in the air. And, and I guess uh, also the decision will have been sort of taken on board, if you like, in the fact, I mean, the, 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 the pilots will have made a decision on how the plane is handling at that precise moment and all that kind of thing. And you think, well, if it is still kind of flying okay, then we can go to a slightly more desired airport without risk, if you see what I mean, or less yeah. risk. It, and, and I don't know the weather that day, um, yeah, uh, John says it could have been uh, good for customs or getting away for the weather. Um, <laughs> plus, you know, Milan, you've got the Alps to the north, so why not turn south? <laughs> if you're going to have a controllability issue, uh, yeah. go towards the flatter train. Yes, uh, yes, good shout. Right? Yeah. Um, but but all in all, the flight from Milan to Rome in the 767, even with a little bit of damage, they're probably running some checklists and, and, and kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do, burn off some fuel in that uh, – I would imagine, 45 minutes to an hour that they were airborne. Oh, I thought that would be quite noisy in there as well, Armando, on the flight deck. I can't imagine. I, I mean, it's noisy like when the gear doors open and you're up front. Uh, I can't imagine having a, a big old gaping hole in the front of your airplane. It's got to be noisy. True. And also, also something before we move on, something I've noticed as well, it doesn't sound a story, no damage to the, um, the, the, yeah, the, the windshields. The, the the windows true, yeah actually, true actually i actually noticed the uh the landing light lens covers were not mm. damaged and those are usually not glass glass they're kind of plexiglass type material mm. um, so real real interesting event but hey i'm just glad they got it back on the ground yeah amando next story is with you indeed uh this is a boeing story man this is just a boeing show um, Boeing is giving 950,000 US dollars to diverse scholarship programs. Uh, they are hoping to encourage people from different backgrounds to begin piloting careers. As we've talked about on the show, uh, there's a need, a forecasted need for almost 650,000 new pilots over the next few years. Um, the company has donated 450,000 US dollars to an LA based uh, company called Fly Compton which introduces minority youth to opportunities in the aerospace industry. Another half a million dollars was donated to a variety of 25 different scholarships across five aviation-focused organizations. That's the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, AOPA, which I'm a member of, uh, the Latino Pilots Association, which I should be a member of, uh, the Organization of Black <laughs> Aerospace Professionals, or OBAP, and Sisters of the Skies, which we've done interviews with them, and Women uh, in Aviation International, which both myself and Megan are uh, members of. Um, all of these uh, uh, organizations are, are leading some really significant projects to recruit uh, underrepresented demographics into aviation. And uh, something like a half million dollar donation, well, almost a million dollar donation in total from a company like Boeing makes a huge difference. The, uh, the president of Fly Compton, uh, Demetrius Harris, said that uh, they know that a lack of exposure, access to resources, and the high cost of flight training prevents underrepresented populations from exploring aviation's uh, exploring careers in aviation, and they focus specifically to eliminate barriers to entry, and uh, this funding package from Boeing is definitely going to help them. Um, obviously, uh, you know, Boeing is, uh, they have a vested interest in, in this and getting everybody into the flight deck, uh, but uh, you can imagine that uh, 
really good effort there. And this is just one example here in the US from many across the globe. I think the next story, we're actually going to talk about um, one over there in the, the UK. But um, yeah, the uh, 2023 uh, jobs outlook is looking at uh, close to 650,000 650, pilots needed in the next uh, 20 years or so. 690,000 aviation maintenance technicians or engineers, as you guys call them, and up to almost a million cabin crew uh, required, 938,000 cabin crew required over the next uh, 20 years to meet the demand in air travel. So uh, I know we love to focus on the piloting standpoint, but uh, man, I know here we are hurting to find good mechanics and engineers also as well as cabin crew so uh definitely get uh you know get in there the, uh, oscar's listening so he should be um yeah. Yeah. yeah if you're here in the u.s there's a aviation careers podcast and uh, uh carl valeri runs that podcast he actually puts out a uh, scholarship guidebook um, and they keep it updated and there's over a million dollars of scholarships available to everyone from all walks of life. Uh, you don't have to be a minority. You don't have to be a woman. Um, it's literally, you know, career changers, everything. There's, there's, it's a great uh, guidebook if you're looking to defray some of the costs of getting into this career. So, Matt, you've got the next story on a similar thread as such because it's all about um, becoming an aviator but it's a very very nice story this one indeed indeed so we're off to the bbc for this one bbc.co.uk is the source forward slash news the female aviator helping women to get their wings of almost 30,000 pilots in the uk fewer than five percent are women but one aviator has set up a support network with a bid to help get others get their wings when catherine maloney began flying she did not know any other female pilots keen to connect with like-minded women she organized a lunch at brighton city airport 40 people from across the industry showed up and elevate her aviation was and and elevate her aviation was born ah cool uh, we had the most amazing day she said it was quite emotional when i came away i knew i wanted to take this forward uh, in a more meaningful way a year later in may 2023 miss maloney launched elevate her a website providing resources for aspiring pilots and a social media community that has quickly grown to around 1,000 people. Despite her father, father being a pilot, the 24-year-old grew up firmly believing aviation was not for her, but a trial, lesson, uh, fly, trial flying lesson changed everything. That action of giving it a go, that completely changed my life and gave me a completely different perspective, she said. Now a private pilot of helicopters and fixed-wing aircraft, Miss Maloney, flies out of Solent Airport but until the first lunch she said women had been completely absent from her aviation journey 
She said, I've only been talked by men and they've all been incredible, but I just felt like I was missing out on talking about this to other women. This year, Elevate Her Aviation held a second lunch, this time attracting around 70 delegates, as well as connecting people. The project's aim is to raise the profile of female pilots because, as the saying goes, you can't be what you can't see. The biggest problem is the lack of visual roles, she said. We want to promote those roles, uh, those role models uh, and promote that message. The website and social media channels feature blog posts by pilots and signpost resources such as scholarships and training. Among those to connect through the scheme is Lily Ayres from Bournemouth, an airworthiness engineer and aspiring commercial pilot. She said her biggest challenge has been the cost of training and it wasn't until she joined Southampton University Air Squadron and won scholarships from the Air League and w British Women's Pilots Association that she started to believe in herself. Training to become a co commercial pilot can cost up to £120,000, she said, which for the average individual of any background or gender is just not viable. That, coupled with the fact that there are not many female role models, can be just enough to turn women away from the industry. It is challenging and hard work, but it's even harder without believing that you can do it and without uh, seeing people like you from your background working in these jobs. Of nearly 30,000 pilots in the UK, fewer than 5% are women. Miss Ayres said that her love of flying began when, while uh, with watching planes coming in at Heathrow from her mother's back garden in West London. She said, I didn't know a soul who was interested in aviation growing up, let alone anyone who worked in the industry, which was, was isolating as I had no clue where to start. Elevate Her has connected me with like-minded women, many have faced the same challenges as me. I now have a fantastic community who make me feel valued and seen. We are all there to lift each other up and provide support and resources to anyone else interested who might see it. Uh, the popularity of Elevate Her has prompted, prompted Miss Maloney to enlist the help of volunteers who look after the group's social media and blogs. Madison Buckley, who helps run the Elevate Her social media channels, began flying at six but found the cost unsustainable so opted to channel her efforts and money into her studies she, she's now on a placement with BAE Systems as, as part of her law degree at the University of Southampton and wants to take to the skies again when she graduates she said I feel so out of touch with the aviation community because I don't feel because I, I didn't feel good enough and I still don't sometimes because I currently don't fly but Catherine and all the wonderful team and other women are so supportive Elevate Her has really been that push for me because I felt like I was losing sight of ever completing my PPL private pilot's license and becoming a pilot. Now, of course, uh, we did uh, do the uh, Women in Aviation podcast um, a couple of years ago now, um, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to do another one at, uh, at some point. And I think one of the things that was very evident from that was actually um, the thing that we need to change more than anything else is um, we need to inspire people at school children level don't we this this is the thing it's like those those kids at school uh, it shouldn't matter what their gender is they should say I want to be a pilot and I think that's where the for me that's where the focus should be because I think that's where you know that's where the the problem is I mean the the, the cost 
of becoming a pilot is a barrier for everyone as it sort of mentions oh, yeah. in that story so i mean that that absolutely needs to be to be sorted out but i i think it is it is for me it's grassroots that's where the focus and the attention and the money needs to be spent if you like to to you know to have it so that people who are at school are all wanting to be pilots regardless of of their their makeup essentially I was, I was talking to Stuart about about this subject the other day, actually, Matt. And obviously, you know, Stuart O'Neill, our, our friendly pilot mm. from uh, from Beckles, we're saying about how much the costs are and stuff for youngsters, especially who want to, uh, to move into the career. And we've talked about it before on the show a million times about how expensive it is. But one of the things he did say is that, like, for young listeners, when we, we've got your, uh, Oscar in the chat room now tonight, and one of the things he did say was a, a really good idea to to kickstart things and to save a bit of money is to go and um, join a club such as seeding or uh, Beckles, but join a club and volunteer and help cut grass, do various you know, activity or you know, chores around the um, airfield. And then that way you're nine times out of 10, get the chance to get free instruction or a free flight or yeah, I, I, I accept that, but that still doesn't solve the problem of us, like, you know, loads of people have done that. And as, uh, you know, as, as well, you and Armando will know, obviously, it's much, much cheaper to do it in the US than it is here in the oh, UK. Oh, blimey, yeah, definitely. Um, and I get that. I complete. That's definitely a good place to start. If nothing else, it, it, it teaches respect and things like that. So absolutely on board with that, one hundred percent. But that still doesn't solve the problem where you go from that to being a keen aviator to wanting to be a pilot. There are no schemes or scholarships or anything like that, really. I mean, I do feel that these companies, you know, uh, you know, let let's say Delta or uh, Virgin Atlantic or uh, any of you know, like any of the uh, British Airways and all that kind of thing. I do feel that the airlines themselves could do more to help get people in those cockpits. I think on that standpoint, I think they will. I think they won't have a choice. Mm. We just talked about 650,000 pilots mm. needed over the next 20 years. We talked about 630,000 aircraft engineers, a million cabin crew. I think the airlines will not have a choice other than to uh, you know, start doing exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I think when it comes to, um, well, I, th I, th well, I think on this, we're all on the same page. It's expensive for everybody. Mm, absolutely. Um, the, the, the financial barrier to getting into aviation applies to everyone, uh, mm. no matter who you are. Um, but the exposure part of it, um, that's where these organizations are growing and the support that we can give them, um, giving them platforms like this, right? And they give us platforms and, mm. and vice versa. When you talk about OBAP, when you talk about Latino pilots, women in aviation, those kinds of organizations, um, for me, what they need to do, and, and I'm seeing more and more of it here in the U.S., is get to the Norwich High Street, get to Cambridge High Street, get those individuals that are in school, uh, get into career fairs, get into town fairs, um, and, and show those uh, demographics that they that they can see people that look like them in the cockpit or in an airplane or in mm. the aviation industry, right? So um, I think there's a little bit of work to be done and hopefully they can um, 
you know, use some of the funding to do that, just to get more exposure into your, into your, um, your general population centers. I think people that want to go into aviation know it from early on. Um, but I, but the, the way to recruit, especially cabin crew, mechanics, engineers, you know, those are, um, more attainable paths as far as uh, from a financial standpoint you can always do that how many stories have we done uh on this show about cabin crew working as a cabin crew mm -hmm. for years and then getting the experience and then maybe your own company can take you on um but just the whole industry as a whole for nev to be able to travel for me to be able to travel we need a lot of people in there and i think these organizations are doing a good job they can be better but they um they're doing a good job of of getting into these uh, general population centers where you might not have been exposed to aviation. Mm. So, absolutely. Um, by the way, elevate her. Um, I actually follow them on Instagram. They got some really, really cool videos. They're all in portrait mode. Nev, sorry, but uh -oh. that is the that is the way of the future. You realize everybody is taking video in portrait mode. Uh, uh, in fact, landscape mode. I don't even know what to do with anymore because now I have to edit it to get it on Instagram and blah blah blah. It's just. A, <laughs> Anyway, uh, they have really cool videos on there and they have some, uh, they did some stuff in Oshkosh, uh, uh, Elevate Her, the organization, the UK organization did some stuff in Oshkosh this year where uh, they met up with some of the um, social media influencers, mm. um, aviation women influ influencers. Cool videos. Go check them out. Absolutely. I shall be adding them. Another one to add to my list of aviators I follow on Instagram. Uh, Nev. You've got uh, the next story all about grand caravans. Yes, interesting one on flightglobal.com, I thought. Uh, Surf Air Mobility has completed its acquisition of US regional carrier Southern Airways and now turns attention to its fleet expansion and electrification plans. Southern California-based startup said on the 2nd of August that the deal closed immediately prior to Surf's 27th of July listing on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, Southern is now a wholly owned subsidiary of Surf Air. We're now well positioned to build a platform that delivers accessible, affordable and sustainable regional travel for our customers, says Stan Little, uh, Chief Executive of Surf. Our public listing is just the beginning and the regional air mobility company also disclosed that it has a deal with Textron Aviation to purchase 100 new Cessna Grand Caravans over a five-year period with options for an additional 50 of the type. The deal was triggered by Surf's public listing and uh, aircraft deliveries are set to begin uh, next year in 2024. Surf's business plan is multifaceted. Uh, its acquisition of Southern will provide the basis for SAM's uh, anticipated expanded nationwide regional air mobility program, it says. Florida headquartered uh, Southern Airways Express flies passengers using a fleet of about 50 regional aircraft, including about 40 Cessna caravans. Southern also operates between Hawaiian Islands uh, under the uh, Mokulili uh, Airlines brand. Uh, Southern is the largest uh, commuter airline in the Southern in the US uh, and the largest passenger operator of Cessna caravans by scheduled departures, uh, Surf says in a prospectus for investors uh, released on the 26th of July. Uh, the Southern acquisition will result in a combined regional airline service serving US cities across the Mid-Atlantic Gulf South, Midwest, Rocky Mountains, West Coast, New England and Hawaii. 
Uh, Southern Networks uh, covers 40 US cities, including several essential air service routes. It is contracted to fly by the US government. The carrier previously operated in the Southern Pacific Marinas Islands, but stopped flying there on the 1st of April. SURF currently operates a technology forward on demand scheduled regional aviation platform, it says. Through the company's uh, membership model, passengers can book flights with third party part 135 operators, most of which fly in California. The company also intends to electrify existing turboprop aircraft with underdevelopment uh, electric propulsion technologies. It has an agreement with Jetstream Aviation Capital to finance up to 450 million US dollars for expansion of SURF's fleet of turboprops and estimates that its five-year fleet expansion strategy will cost 1.2 billion dollars. Uh, SURF plans to retrofit Southern's sizable fleet of existing grand caravans with hybrid electric and fully electric powertrains and to develop its and certify its EP1 propulsion systems through partnerships with Aerotech, Magnix and Textron. That's uh, quite a bit of uh, project work going mm. on there, isn't it? But, yeah. uh, but that's essential, I guess, isn't it, in the US, Armando, for these, uh, the, these smaller regional operations? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And if you'll hang in there for another little trip, Surf Air Mobility. So the people that are embarking on this project about electrifying the aircraft um, is the parent company of Surf Air. Surf Air has been around as a charter company flying Pilatus PC-12s. Um, and their acquisition of Southern Airways Express, we did a story on our show a couple, well, I guess probably a year ago now, when Sir, uh, uh, Southern Airways Express, which is different than Southern Air, Southern Air is a cargo carrier, Southern Airways Express uh, acquired both Mokalili and uh, Air Choice One, which were regional operators of uh, Cessna caravans. So now they have this whole big caravan fleet uh, added to a uh, Pilatus fleet. Um, those are pretty similar aircraft with some you know, uh, slight differences. Now you have a lot of a great pilot pipeline um, and then adding electric aircraft to this is uh, is going to make them arguably they're they're going to be well they I know they are the largest um, commuter airline of its type in the country right now and and they're going to end up with you know close to 200 airplanes or so amazing yeah love that so moving on to the uh, next story and uh, it's all about uh, buckles on this one. It's come to us from avweb.com and also avherald as well. And this one was in the news this week, all about a hard landing that buckled a 767. So United Airlines, uh, one of their oldest 767s, is likely to be a write-off after the fuselage skin buckled and tore in a hard landing at Houston on July the 29th. The aircraft arrived from Newark at 10.34am with 193 passengers and 11 crew on board, none of whom were injured. Circumstances of the landing have not been released yet, but the crew taxied to the gate as normal after their rough arrival. Grand crews found the damage to the aircraft and it remains at Houston. And according to Simple Flying, the aircraft have been flying for United since 1991 and is one of the 37 767-300ERs in the inventory. 
Uh, the aircraft is scheduled to keep flying until about 2030 uh, with the airline when the type is due to be replaced by the 787. The United has 100 Dreamliners on order and they will replace the 767s and the airline's first generation uh, 777-200s. And uh, according to an update on the Av Herald website, the FAA reported that uh, the aircraft did make a hard landing and post-flight inspections revealed damaged uh, damage to the uh, fuselage and as they said in the story this aircraft first flew back in March 1991. Now Armando what do you think of that uh, little bit of uh, crease there? To the that'll fuselage? buff out, that'll be fine. Hey. You know <laughs> the, the, the internet memes of how to lose a job mm, yeah <laughs> oh. that'll do it. That is that is no joke to buckle an airplane like that um, I mean, what I mean, that must have been like in Especially 7.6. Yeah, as some of the people... Man, I love our chat room. It has happened a couple times, specifically on 767s. Um, after hard landings, they, they tend to crease like that. Uh, I think it's happened three times that we know of, uh, where the airplane's uh, written off almost. But, uh, yeah. Man, you got to really... <laughs> you got to really uh, put it down firmly to to make that happen apparently in this one there was like gaps you could see sunlight through it ow i mean that's not good <laughs> no no i believe the phrase we're looking for there nev is suboptimal oh certainly yes <laughs> So in, in that situation, then, obviously, if they're saying that this aircraft is going to be written off and scrapped, they're not going to be able to fly this out to, uh, you know, to somewhere to be scrapped, because... Uh, well, Houston it's... is actually their big uh, base. That's one of their biggest bases ah. for United. So it's a, a great place to start taking it apart and use it for <laughs> seats and engines and hydraulic pumps and lights, and it'll it'll probably be a... A donor aircraft. A, can a cannabis airplane? No, that's not a cannabis No, airplane. no, no. Ca cannibalized. Cannibalized. Yes, cannibalized yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, show's taken no. a big, bit of a turn. Uh, <laughs> that's a, I mean, to be fair, once you've taken everything out of it that you want, I mean, let's be honest, Carlos, if you left it like down the end of my road here, I mean, somebody would come and take it away in, in half an hour. I mean, it would be, it'd be on a scrap heap in no time. <laughs> Wouldn't have to worry it'll, it'll about be that. Here. Yeah, yeah. Well, here. yeah. There, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be Carlos then. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that one. <laughs> That's oh. another one that'll end up on someone's wall somewhere. Anyway, yeah. Armando, you have got the next uh, story, and it's a, it's good. It's an update. Isn't it all about EAA adventure. Yeah, actually, our last commercial story here. Uh, we all missed Oshkosh uh, EAA Air Venture this year. Uh, what a phenomenal week. I feel like all of my friends, all of our friends were up there. The podcast community, a good mm. portion was all up there. And um, despite some mishaps, uh, I think there were three or four total mishaps, uh, very unfortunate ones. Uh, the The whole week was a record-setting week again. Uh, from an attendance standpoint, there were 677,000 uh, attendees. That's tickets sold. The previous record was last year at 650,000. Um, and it was, you know, challenging. I was watching some of the videos and some of the posts with the weather logistics. Uh, uh, I think the first day of Oshkosh of Air Venture, there was a storm that came through. And then halfway through Air Venture, there was a pretty big storm that came through. Um, 
and then and kind of weather related there was over 10,000 aircraft that arrived at Whitman Regional Airport um, and all the airports around Oshkosh not everybody goes to Oshkosh itself because it can be kind of challenging and daunting to do that arrival in there but uh, at Whitman Airport alone there were 21,883 aircraft operations in an 11-day period that's from July 20th to July 30th that's approximately 148 takeoffs per and landings per hour which is uh our believe a uh, 20 or so per hour more than uh, atlanta can handle um so total show planes was 3365 uh, 1,497 vintage registered aircraft. That's where I would be with my lovely little 1946 supercruiser. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a, over 1,000 home-built aircraft, 380 warbirds. That's up 3% from 2020, 2022. Uh, 194 ultralights, 134 seaplanes, 52 aerobatic aircraft, uh, <laughs> and uh, 41 rotorcraft. Uh, Jonathan Warner's already planning. Actually, he and I were texting during the week and kind of figuring out when we could all meet up at Oshkosh. Uh, I think we're going to have to have a PTUK meetup at Oshkosh in the next, well, maybe not 2024. I think he's looking at 2025, 2026. That's like probably our time frame too. So I don't know. We got to start uh, talking about that. Definitely need um, to do that. I think. Like, oh that yes, is, uh, that is one definitely. Of those. Yeah, um, really cool numbers. Again, just a really great event. Can't wait to see some of the content that comes out of it from our, you know, our regular uh, content producers out there on the internet. But uh, really, really cool week, and and just again happy to see that it was another record-setting week at EAA Air Venture this week. That's good. I know. I did see some of the pictures on social media. It does look. It just looks amazing. It really does. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you guys got to do it. Right. Moving on, then. That's the uh, end of the commercial segment for this evening. Uh, well done, everyone. We've got uh, something up coming up next, a little segment that I recorded at the Wings and Wheels Day uh, a few weeks back when I was there. And uh, I got to meet some very interesting people while I was there during uh, my day at, uh, at Norwich. And uh, it's safe to say our, uh, the, the chap I inv um, interviewed here, Dave Higgins, he was incredibly interesting and, and very enthusiastic about uh, what he drove and also what he flies as well. And we had a great, great chat. So, uh, Matt, hit the button. Back again at the City of Norwich Aviation Museum for the Wings and Wheels Day. I'm here with Dave Higgins. Now, Dave, uh, we're standing next to this glorious... Uh, vehicle here. What is this? Well, thank you very much. It's a, a Land Rover 1968 Series 2A short wheelbase petrol. Petrol. So that's uh, is that old school petrol or? Uh, it is. Well, it is. You can convert them to unleaded, or you can put an additive. The question people always ask when you say it's petrol is how many gallons to the mile does it do? And it's probably around about 15 to 16. So it's not exactly an eco machine, but it's it's purely for fun. So I don't do long distances or anything like that. But it is a, just an amazing, amazing vehicle. My pride and joy. Pride and joy. I'm guessing this, this goes very nicely into a garage every day. Oh, how did you guess? Yeah, <laughs> she is pampered. She never drives in the rain, would you believe? Even though it's a Land Rover designed to go in mud and goodness knows what, stays in the garage, only gets driven on drive days. And But it is driven two or three times a week. Otherwise, they do start seizing. So you've got, like anything classic, you've got to fly it or you've got to keep driving it. So, 
bit about your uh, your sort of career as such because oh, I've heard that you, you do a bit of flying yes well my, my background I'm a, a commercial helicopter pilot by background so I flew helicopters 26 years uh, mainly in support of oil and gas a big portion of my time was with Bristow helicopters in Aberdeen and here in Norwich flying Super Pumas the Bell 214 ST Sikorsky 76s and um, and that really was my, the bulk of my career um, I'm now, I train pilots now in something called human factors, which is all about the, our interaction with the aircraft that we fly, what our awareness of what's going on around us, the decisions we make, how we communicate with each other. And it is the, the biggest cause of things not working well when we fly. 80% of incidents and accidents are down to this thing called human factors. So this is something that I train. So I train in the UK. Uh, and overseas, and it's a fascinating area, all about how what makes humans tick. You know, it's one of the things we often talk about on the show. We've got pilots who watch the show, and CRM, Crew Resource Management. Yes, it, it sounds, it puts people off because it sounds like some sort of um, business kind of edict, Crew Resource Management, but it really is, it, we should rename it to Humans Are Us, because it really is about us as a human being, and the human brain is, is simply amazing, but it does have limitations. And one of the big limitations for us as pilots is that 95% of our day is run on habit. And that's some research by a psychologist called Kahneman says that the biggest part of our days is coupled to the autopilot. So habits are unmonitored and it's things like walk rounds of the aircraft. It's things that routine things that we do very often. And when we do these things very often, our situational awareness of what's going on is very much reduced and our monitoring of what we are doing is very much reduced. So the brain is amazing, but it does have a lot of limitations that catch us out as aircrew. One of the things you're taught when I was, you know, started learning to fly years ago is one of the first things is aviate, navigate, communicate. And you know what, that still holds true in, in 2023. Even though the aircraft we fly now are hugely complex and very often the autopilot or the flight director is actually flying the aircraft, it, the basic edict of aviate, navigate, communicate, we've stuck a manage on the end of it now because very often in these very complex aircraft, if you get a system malfunction, it's very easy just to go managing the function both guys, both the pilot flying, the pilot monitoring, looking at the malfunction, and nobody is actually flying the aircraft. Nobody's thinking about where is the aircraft in time and space, what's around this, is there any obstacles around? So that edict, Carlos, aviate, navigate, communicate, is absolutely still here in 2023. Probably more important now than it ever was in this very complex world that we fly. So you've flown helicopters. Now, I heard, I heard you fly something else as well, a fixed wing. Yes, I'm, I'm really into vintage aeroplanes. So uh, I fly a Harvard. Uh, this is Wacky Rabbit T6 Aviation. And, and I urge anybody, if ever you fancy a flight in a Harvard, T6 Aviation, they take people up for the most amazing experience. So it, it is a, a phenomenal aircraft. Um, and, that, and the other aircraft I fly is a Chipmunk, which I fly probably once, twice a week if I can. Um, both very beautiful, both very individual aircraft, but uh, just fantastic fun. Tell us a bit about the Harvard then. It's, it's, it's one of those um, aircraft that I've seen at the air shows, and I think one of the things that's, that's definitely unmissable is, is that engine noise. 
Yes, it is. It's that rasp, that very distinctive rasp that the aircraft has in fine pitch. And uh, I must admit, you know, it, it's what drew me to the aircraft as much as anything was the noise that it makes. It is a beautiful aeroplane to fly. It's a stepping stone aircraft. So if you wanted to fly something like a Spitfire or Hurricane or P-51, you would a, a very good route, maybe Chipmunk, then the Harvard, because then you're onto complex aircraft with undercarriage and, and variable pitch propellers and then from there step to the Hurricane Spitfire or P-51. So it's a very useful aircraft as an intermediary uh, to the, the, the fighters, if you like. And it's an aircraft, I'm guessing, that you definitely have to hand fly. Yes, yeah, no autopilot systems, no coupling it here, no, it's manually flown throughout. So what got you into the Harvard then? Oh, it's just, I'd always been fascinated by it. I mean, it just looks a brute, it looks beautiful. Um, I'd always wanted to fly one, so it, it's one of those things. And it's like from being a boy making airfix models, that progression to, yeah, it looks beautiful. I'd love to have a go, and and it's one of these things as well where, it, life, you know, life is very short, and you know, I've had lots of friends over the years who have become quite poorly, and it kind of makes you reevaluate what's important. And and I'm a great believer, if there's something that you want to do, do it now. Don't put it off for a few years do it now, get it done. And that's exactly my thought process with the Harvard. I have to ask, how comfortable is that aircraft to fly the Harvard? It, as, as, in, as, in, as in seating comfort? Oh, it is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting because when you look at the Chipmunk, for example, the Chipmunk is a very confined cockpit. It's very snug inside. The Harvard looks very snug, but it is a, a typical American airplane. You know, it sort of opens up. So it is quite a roomy cockpit the only danger you have to watch and that's why you you see a lot of people wearing flying suits is that you need storage because if you drop something on the floor in the harbour well there isn't a floor it's right down to the bottom of the fuselage with all the control wires so we have to be very careful that any loose articles are trapped but it is a beautiful it's a very comfortable aeroplane to fly you get a chance to fly it very often uh probably about once every six weeks yeah, that's, uh, and of course it is down to money, of course, like everything in life. So I'm kind of budgeting about once every six weeks if I can. And again, to try and keep some sort of currency or recency with the aircraft. So uh, for listeners, because we've got lots of pilots, like GA pilots who listen, who fly like the Cessna 150s, 172s, 180s, the PA-28s, how easy would it be for them to, to kind of convert to flying a T6? Oh, it, it, dare I say stra fairly straightforward because I, I started my, my PPL on a Cessna 152 um, and then I went PA28 uh, for a couple of years straight to Chipmunk and then to Harvard. So yes, absolutely. It's a tail dragger. So it's on the ground that it behaves very differently. But in the air, you push the stick forward, the nose pitches down, you pull the stick back, the nose pitches up. So it flies like a Cessna 152 in terms of what the controls do. It's just the added complexity of on the ground. That's when it becomes very different. But it, it, I would say, give it a go. So tell us a bit about the chipmunk. Oh, the Chipmunk, uh, and the one I'm, I'm part owner, there's 17 of us who own this aircraft. Uh, there's five of us who fly it regularly, and me who hogs it the most. Uh, it came out of RAF service in 1995, spent 44 years in the Air Force, still in its RAF colours, spent 21 years on an air experience flight, flying ATC CCF cadets. Uh, registration is for, the, for your listeners, WK630, if you've ever flown in it. And, and again, a delightful aeroplane to fly. Very well harmonized controls. I know it's an old cliche, it sounds like babble, doesn't it? Well harmonized, but very light on the controls, very responsive, just brilliant fun. And it's got a huge following. 
a lot of people had their first taste of flying in a chipmunk, either as a cadet or as somebody on a university air squadron learning to fly it. So it is held with, with real affection by a lot, of, a lot of us out there. So looking forward into the future, what's, have you got any big plans for what you maybe want to go and fly or is there something you want to do? I mean, a lot of our, our, our pilots have, have done kind of long trips across country to various countries yeah. and done European trips. Is there something you'd like to do? Oh, I, I'd love to, I think boyhood dream, I'd love to fly a Hurricane or a Spitfire. I've just got to wait for those lottery numbers to line up and I am trying really hard. They're just not lining up at the moment. So you've already alluded to it, but uh, we always ask uh, everyone we talk to on the show, we interview on the show, what that one aircraft, or two if you like, uh, aircraft that you'd love to, if you could just pop across the, the NDR here in Norwich and jump into anything, commercial, GA, military, retired, still flying, and you could go over now, hop in and go for a jolly, you know, w would it be what you... Oh, it would be probably the Hurricane at the top, followed very, very closely by the Spitfire, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Two iconic aircraft. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Boyhood stuff, isn't it, really? Well, I'll tell you what, it's been lovely to speak to you. Thank you. And obviously, lovely to be here as well, next to this amazing vehicle here. Obviously, you've got, you've got some other uh, vehicles alongside you here, which are all uh, looking marvellous with the Land Rovers with the uh, British flag on. But love the colour, by the way. <laughs> Thank you very much. The thing is, after you've gone, Carlos, I'll be there polishing and dusting again. I'll be doing it all day. I'm really sad. <laughs> So for the benefit of the listeners and viewers of the show, um, how can I kind of find out more about, um, obviously, the, the, the T6 and all the bits and yeah, pieces so you do? Just Google Wacky Wabbit, which is the aircraft, or T6 Aviation, and a really, really delightful bunch of guys. And, and it, as I say, it's an experience of a lifetime flying with them. So uh, how, how much? How much? Oh, I'm not sure. I can't remember the actual prices. You'd have to Google it and, and look on the website. <laughs> I'd give you Duff Jen if I give it off the top of my head. <laughs> well, thanks for talking to us. That's been lovely to speak Very to you. And have a great show Thank you. Uh, the rest of the day here. The weather is fantastic here, as we can see. But, uh, no, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. The, the real danger is they park me next to the burger van. I can smell the bacon. No, which is real bad news. So I think that's my next stop. <laughs> Thank you very much. And we'll, uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you very much. Thank you. That yeah. was so good. Hit the button. Oh no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was that was really nice. Dave was what Dave was a very very entertaining person to talk to, and I, I will. So we did have a little off air chat as well uh, after that. He's he's brilliant. He loves his he loves his Land Rover. Absolutely loves his Land Rover. But um, yeah, really really good to speak to him. And uh, as is it Dirk S says in the chat room, that car needs a PTUK de uh, decal. Very true. I'm already on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll get Carl to uh, message Dave for us. I think we'll see if we can sort that out. But uh, big thanks again to uh, Carl and all the team over at the uh, Norwich Aviation Museum, the City of Norwich Aviation Museum. If you've not been there yet, if you're in East Anglia near the City of Norwich, get yourselves over there. It's a fantastic museum, loads to see, and it honestly, it's it's dirt cheap to get in. It's well worth a visit. So get yourselves over there. Right, Armando, I think it's time to hand things over to you. Matt, hit the button. Black up, buggies, 
Well, then, you know, it's military time when Nev's chair is empty. Um, <laughs> Cause you guys can't, you guys can't see the rest of that. Um, hey, so uh, I know I haven't been on live on the show for a couple weeks now. Uh, just wanted to do a bit of a quick security update. Obviously it, the, the situation in Ukraine is so fast moving that we can't possibly keep up with it. And um, plus uh, trying to avoid uh, obviously it's a, it's a terrible situation that's going on over there, but it, it's just not, not our bag to sort of re- report, you know, current events as, as they're happening there in combat. Um, but this uh, first story um, is a bit of an escalation where, uh, well, first of all, it's from Eurasian Times, where Russia appears to be preparing for a NATO intervention, um, adding another batch of hypersonic uh, missile-capable upgraded MiG-31s. Um, it's supposed to be a, a significant boost, according to uh, some news media outlets for the Russian Aerospace Forces, um, that the uh, Novo, Novgorod um Aviation plant in Sokol uh, has developed a new batch of MiG-31 interceptor fighters um, that are being delivered. This modernization work uh, was completed in accordance with a state defense order and that the upgraded aircraft have been sent to their permanent airfields, according to a uh, message posted on the Russian United Aircraft Corporation Telegram account, which we all know is kind of government run anyways. But um uh, the message also noted that the newly upgraded MiG-31s had the same flight performance as when they were first put into service. However, they have now been fitted with additional features and capabilities to bolster their combat strength. Um, the uh, There were some similar MiG-31s, some uh, MiG-31 Bravo Mike BM uh, fighter interceptors previously reported uh, to have been deployed out to Krasnoyarsk uh, territory. This has fueled some speculation that these new MiG-31s are also the Bravo Mike models. Um, this uh, this particular model of the MiG-31 is the most advanced and most efficient iteration of the original MiG-31 Foxhound. And according to local media, it's one of the few Russian aircraft capable of intercepting and destroying cruise missiles that are flying at very low altitudes. This uh, aircraft can be fitted with air-to-air missiles, um, and most notably, it has an ability to intercept 24 different targets at once. Um, that's a pretty uh, noteworthy. Currently, Russia has three squadrons of MiG-31 Bravo Mikes, about 90 active fighters. Um, and of course, it's hard to say where all this is going. And um, yeah, so yes, Sturman, um, I'm trying to keep a straight face during this uh, during this story. Uh, the biggest. Uh, you know, threat there is that these are capable of uh, carrying those hypersonic missiles, which uh, is not a good thing for anybody. Um, similarly, uh, typhoons, British typhoons, are being relocated to a forward base near Russia. Uh, they are calling that in uh, order to hone their air combat skills with some F-18s. Uh, you know, obviously the uh, the tensions now you know the russians do something and then the west is going to do something so uh these uh british typhoons of the uh, from the royal air force have been relocated to a forward base in finland for training with finnish fa-18 hornets under a exercise called exercise Jautzen strike uh, this was actually published by 
the UK MOD saying that the RAF had these typhoon jets uh, already deployed in Eastern Europe, but being temporarily relocated up to Finland for some air to air combat uh, training with the F-18s. Uh, these are uh, FGR-4s uh, already stationed at Amari in Estonia. I've actually been there. Um, they were there originally for the NATO Baltic air policing exercise, and um, they were reportedly moved forward to the Tampere air base in Finland. I probably mispronounced that. Um, <laughs> and of course, this comes hot on the heels of Finland becoming a NATO member. Um, so um, the RAF is appearing to hone in kind of its austere deployment capabilities. They're doing some, uh, they quickly established a FARP. We've talked about FARPs before. Those are forward area rearming refueling points uh, serving as sort of a base away from base. Um, and the, you know, that was one of the first things that they did when they arrived in Finland was practice that ability to hit a forward base, rearm, refuel, and then go off and, uh, you know, continue on their missions. So, um, so we got MiG-31s and we got Typhoons going to Finland to work with F-18s. And while all this is happening, a plant in Rheinmetall, Germany, is about to start building F-35 parts. Um, this German armed manufacturer, uh, Rheinmetall, on Tuesday marked the construction of a, loo, a new uh, factory in the western town of Vitsa uh, that's going to produce fuselage sections for the F-35. Um, the premier of the state of North Rhine-Westphalia, uh, Hendrik Wust, took part in a groundbreaking ceremony at the construction site saying that this highly modern factory is to be built here and that uh, it will guarantee good jobs for decades. Uh, Rheinmetall is a partner of Lockheed Martin, which obviously makes the F-35, together with Northrop Grumman. Uh, this factory is upwards of 200 million euros and will have some uh, 60,000 square meters of, uh, of uh, space, production space, supposed to go into operation in 2025 with about 450 workers. Um, there you go. So uh, a lot of things happen in there over in Europe. And uh, yeah, you know, obviously I can't keep up with all the stuff going on specifically in Ukraine, but as far as, uh, I don't know, more happy developments, are we going to call it that? Hmm. <laughs> in, in, in military Ish. aviation? Military aviation ever really happy? I don't know, debatable but uh, we'll keep you updated. I know uh, D Dirk's Googling, Googling the M uh, MiG-31. Yeah, they're uh, pretty big, actually. <laughs> if you uh, stand next to one, if you see one parked next to uh, a traditional fourth-gen fighter, MiG-31 is actually a pretty daggum big airplane. So, um, yes, but I think... First flew in 1975, Armando. Oh, yeah, they've been around for a while. But then again, so has the F-16 and the... F-15, which we keep making. Um, this, I think, was it Sturman? Sturman, Mark? yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. <laughs> looking at my helmet. This was my fixed-wing helmet. So I did actually fly a fixed-wing uh, before going to the, uh, uh, to the Osprey, yeah. So this is a HGU 55P fixed-wing helmet, which I got when I retired. And my rotary wing helmet is uh, locked in a case below where Maddie can't play with it. <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is a HGU 56P, which makes you look like uh, bobblehead mode from GoldenEye, if you guys remember that nice. video yes, game. Yes, very yeah. much so. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I'm so, up to speed. Or or any one of the characters from Spaceballs. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> uh, we are. We just have 15 minutes left. So. Carlos. Yes. Got F-35. The last yeah. Air and space. Air and space forces. Com. Uh, F-35 crashed due to computer glitch caused by turbulence. Yes, it does affect fighter jets as well. Uh, in just 10 seconds, a normal training mission became a near-fatal incident when an F-35 jet crashed while landing at Hill Air Force Base, Utah, on 19th of October 2022. An investigation published in July uh, this year found uh, the crash was caused by a glitch in the aircraft software system, which occurred after the pilot who survived minor injuries after ejecting from a stricken jet flew too close into the turbulence left by the wake of the F-35 ahead of him. According to the investigation, the mishap aircraft was one of a formation of four F-35s returning from a training event over the Utah Test and Training Range that evening. Due to local wind speed of five knots, the base control tower had declared that wake turbulence procedures were in effect, which means the aircraft coming into land had to trail at least 9,000 feet behind the aircraft in front of them, rather than the usual 3,000 feet. The investigation added that encountering wake turbulence is very common in aviation and usually harmless but not during the landing phase he said where unexpected rolling motions can be disastrous so close to the ground investigators said the pilots uh, in the formation should have known wake turbulence procedures were in effect because the control tower noted the wind speed of four or uh, five knots over the runway however neither mishap nor the pilot nor one of the other pilots were aware wake turbulence procedures were in effect and the mishap pilot planned to land with the usual minimum 3,000 feet of separation, though the actual distance in this event was around 3,600 feet. With the landing gear down on final approach, the mishap pilot felt some rumbling due to the wake turbulence of the F-35 ahead of him. He flew through the disturbed air for about three seconds, which threw off the jet's air data system, or ADS. The ADS is made up of sensors that collect information from outside the aircraft so the aircraft's computers can calculate the minimum uh, minute control adjustments, or minute, I should say, control adjustments needed to keep flying. In this case, the disturbed air made the ADS occasionally stop uh, listening to data coming in from sensors on the right side of the aircraft and stop listening to data from the left side altogether. Each time the ADS switched between those primary sensors and backup sources for gauging flight conditions, the, f- uh, the further uh, to further its assessments drifted from actual flight conditions. Uh, poor assessments led to the ADS calculating incorrect flight adjustments, and the pilot found the system disregarded his own attempts to get the jet back under control. Uh, Air Force jets are often equipped with computers that make minor control adjustments mid-flight, and they usually work without issue. Investigators noted there have been over 600,000 F-35 flight hours with no known similar incidents of wake turbulence impacting the ADS. But on its flight, the F-35 put itself in a position with virtually no chance of recovering. The test pilot said the mishap pilot uh, lit his afterburners to try and regain control, but was unable due to the low attitude or altitude and airspeed with just 200 feet between him and the ground, and the, the pilot ejected and landed safely just outside the airfield fence. I think it's a video we all saw on social media. Uh, the bulk of the F-35 crashed within the airfield boundary, so parts of the cockpit canopy and ejection seat landed just outside the fence, and the entire mishap from the initial rumbling to the ejection took about 10 seconds. There we go. 
Yeah. That's how quick That's, things can go south. Yeah, especially when you're close to the ground, you're close in close trail. Oh, that's not really close trail. 3,000 feet is pretty far, but um, but that is in spacing for two jets to land. Uh, if you think about it, 3,000 feet, not very long, right? 1,000 or so meters. Um, just kind of interesting that that uh, one jet would create so much wake turbulence that the other one that the other one's uh, systems couldn't uh, compensate for it. So really interesting. I bet you there was some software patches done after this after this investigation was done. Hmm. So there we go. Military news for this week. Jonathan Warner's happy now. And uh, Nev's just took some notes down. He's uh, put a few notes down on paper for those. (laughs) And uh, on the note of Nev, Nev, it's your turn now. It's the competition, isn't it? Yes, it's the answer to last week's competition. I've got a new competition to set for this week as well. So uh, the question from last week was, which is the longest, the first flight of the Wright brothers or the wingspan of a 747? (gasps) Ooh. It's a good question, isn't it? Uh, The answer is... The Boeing 747's wingspan at 195 feet is longer than that of the Wright brothers' first flight of 120 feet. Wow. I didn't know that. No, neither. Uh, but a number of people did know that because uh, in the uh, the old hat here, we've got quite a few correct answers, actually. Uh, so I'm going to pick out at random a, uh, a winner. Um, let's have a look. It is Steph Smith. So, Steph, uh, you are the winner of the book, which is Vampire Boys by Charlotte Bailey. True Tales from Operators of the RAF's First Single Engine Jet. A great read as well, actually. I had a look at that uh, last week. Uh, of course, we've got a new uh, quiz question for this week. Uh, now, I'm getting into the military in a big way, as you, you must realise <laughs> by now. Indeed. So I'm going to set a military question. I have had to look it up, just to make Wait, sure. Not, the... not off the top look, of your Look head. at Armando's face. Look at his face. I don't know, I don't know what he's going to ask. I'm actually... No. Here we go. This week's question is, which aircraft is the longest continuously produced military model for over six decades? Which aircraft is the longest continuously produced military model for over six decades? Uh, Now, I'm going to donate one of my own books, actually for my own personal collection, uh, from the Smithsonian uh, National Air and Space Museum. It's a copy of uh, Milestones of Flight. Very heavy volume, actually, this one. Much heavier than the other books I've got. So I thought, uh, I've read it all from cover to cover several times, so I thought I would donate it to the winner uh, this time around. So the question is, uh, which aircraft is the longest continuously produced military model for over six decades? Send your answers to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and we shall collect the winners together. And we'll read out the winners on, on the winner on next week's show, and I shall post you that book. Meanwhile, I shall uh, send Steph an email and uh, get the book posted off to uh, wherever he or she is. I don't know if it's a, a male or female Steph. Actually, it's a good point. I'll 
Well, I'll now, find out. Now, John, Jonathan Warner has said that he knows the answer. So, Mr. Warner, well, I suggest you send an email. Well, he always does, doesn't he? He knows <laughs> the answer to everything. He does. He does. He does. He does yeah. I have a guess, but I'm not that confident in it. Really? Oh, that's, that's exciting. I have a guess, but I, I think Nev may pull something out of a hat here where there isn't something that I'm not <laughs> immediately thinking of. Well, let's see. Anyway, there you go. That's the question for this week. So, good luck with that, uh, guys and girls. You've heard the question. And uh, don't forget to send your answers in to our email address, uh, which will we'll give you those email addresses before we finish the show. Just a quick round robin then as the time is ticking away and uh, we're coming to the close of the show. But first, uh, what's everyone up to this week? Come on, Armando, we'll start with you because your life is vastly more aviation interesting than ours. Wish. Um, well, like I said, I had a hawker trip tomorrow, so that's a three-day trip. Be back on Monday. Uh, Tuesday, I'll probably get checked out in the 206. And then Wednesday is uh, Maddie's first day of school, um, which I should probably do something parenty about. But I'm actually going flying uh, with, with the steerman. Um, we're going to do some formation work, take some uh, air-to-air -air pictures, um, between the supercruiser and the steerman over Lake Norman. Um, oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's going to be horrible, isn't it? Yeah. So, and I think that's all I got for now. That's pretty much the whole week. I'll probably fly the 206 a couple times if I get the checkout done just to get more comfortable. It's been a, it's been a minute since I've flown a G1000. Yeah, you'll be all right. Just use Microsoft, <laughs> just use Microsoft Flight Sim. A bit of training. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, okay, yeah. Fair and uh, Nev, what are you up to next week? Oh, a lot of driving. Um, Bristol, Clanethley, oh. Stockport, Brighton. It's going to oh. be mad next week. Uh, no flying, unfortunately. But oh. uh, no, lots of lots of travelling next week for work. Um, so uh, I should be looking forward to the weekend again when well, I'll be relaxing for a couple of days. Well, yes, quite. Uh, yeah. Indeed. But, uh, no, it's a hectic one at the moment, that's for sure. Indeed. Matt, Indeed. what are you up to next week? Uh, not a lot really, just the, just uh, so new job, lots to learn, um, so four days at the new job, my head hurts, it's so crammed full of information that I didn't know before, so we're, we're losing our mind trying to sort of absorb data, which I, I sort of rapidly seems to, I used to be able to absorb data like a sponge, it turns <laughs> out that now that I'm getting a bit older that's not as easy as is, it used to be. Is the saying true Matt, is the saying true, in one ear? Well, no, I was thinking I can't teach an old dog's new tricks. That, oh. I think that's more where I was going with it. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's going well. Good, 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 uh, good first uh, four days. I'm, I'm already sort of, sort of, you know, doing uh, the major part of my role. Got much to learn around it. But uh, yeah, yeah, all good, all good. Mr. Warner sent his email, by the way, already. Oh my word! Really? <laughs> no messing about. <laughs> Thought I had something buzz somewhere. Yeah. I, I shall be. Um, well, I shall be getting prepared to start my new job in a, in, uh, a few weeks' time. So um, ah. I shall be uh, yes, settling in, hopefully soon. And uh, yeah, all things are changing soon with me mm. and my work, which is good. It's good. Good times. And I shall also be doing lots of. Relaxing in the garden, hopefully, this Sunday, and huh. looking at aircraft. As you do. If the weather's nice, <laughs> which is probably not going to be. Yeah, that's not the case, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> if you want to find out what we're all about here, Nev, where can people find out 
what we are, who we are. Well, if I were you, I would go to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and search uh, those platforms for Plain Talking UK. You can send us a WhatsApp into the studio, plus 44 757 2249166. That's plus 44 757 2249166. Uh, our email address is podcast at and that's the address to send your answer to the competition. Uh, as well uh, don't forget you can subscribe to our youtube channel you'll get notifications uh, when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room as so many of you have done this evening so go to youtube.com and search for plain talking uk and of course you can become a patreon uh, too by going to the website it tells you how to donate to the show and people that do that make it um well, possible for the show to go on air, basically. We have quite fixed costs for media site hosting, website hosting, all sorts of things like that, So, uh, and equipment repairs and renewals. So uh, every single penny you send or every single US dollar and cent is very well appreciated and spent uh, on behalf of us for the show. So there we go. There you have it. Get your answers in for that competition. And uh, Nev will hopefully be pulling a winner out of the hat again uh, next week. I won't be here on the show next week. It's my birthday next Saturday. And Friday, I'm being taken out uh, for drinks at a rather nice vineyard near here on Friday. And 30 seconds. We're, we're celebrating Gemma's new job as well, which is also exciting. So uh, that's it from me, Carlos, here. Episode 466 is to a close. Thanks to all the hosts. Thanks to everyone for joining us on the show tonight. And thanks to that lovely chat room, because we love you guys. Take care. Have a fantastic weekend, whatever you're up to. And we'll see you all again very soon. Say goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone.